The Constant Lover, a Comedy, by St. John Hankin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Constant Lover, a Comedy, by St. John Hankin. Characters Evelyn Rivers, read by Charlotte Duckett. Cecil Harberton, by Mapperard. Before the curtain rises, the orchestra will play the woodland music, Cuckoo, from Hansel and Gretel, and possibly some of the Grieg pastoral music from Père Gint, or some Gabriel Forêt. Scene. A glade in a wood. About centre a great beech tree, the branches of which overhang the stage, the brilliant sunlight filtering through them. The sky, where it can be seen through the branches, is a cloudless blue. When the curtain rises, Cecil Harberton is discovered sitting on the ground, under the tree, leaning his back against its trunk and reading a book. He wears a straw hat and the lightest of grey flannel suits. The chattering of innumerable small birds is heard while the curtain is still down, and this grows louder as it rises, and we find ourselves in the wood. Presently a wood pigeon coos in the distance. Then a thrush begins to sing in the tree above Cecil's head, and is answered by another. After a moment, Cecil looks up. By Jove, that's jolly. Listens for a moment, then returns to his book. Suddenly, a cuckoo begins to call instantly. After a moment or two, he looks up again. Cuckoo, too. Bravo. Again he returns to his book. A moment later, enter Evelyn Rivers. She also wears the lightest of summer dresses, as it is a cloudless day in May. On her head is a shady straw hat. As she approaches the tree, a twig snaps under her foot, and Cecil looks up. He jumps to his feet, closing book, and advances to her, eagerly holding out his right hand, keeping the book in his left. Here you are at last. At last? Yes, you're awfully late. Am I? You know you are. I expected you at three. Why, I never said I'd come at three. Indeed, I never said I'd come at all. No, but it's always been three. Has it? And now it's half past. I consider I've been cheated out of a whole half hour. I couldn't help it. Mother kept me. She wanted the roses done in the drawing room. How stupid of Mrs. Rivers. Mr. Harburton. What's the matter? I don't think you ought to be calling my mother stupid. Why not, if she is stupid? Most parents are stupid, by the way. I've noticed it before. Mrs. Rivers ought to have thought of the roses earlier. The morning is the proper time to gather roses. Didn't you tell her that? I'm afraid I couldn't very well. You see, it was really I who ought to have thought of the roses. I always do them, but this morning I forgot. I see. Turning towards the tree. Well, sit down now. You are here. Isn't it a glorious day? I don't believe I ought to sit down. Turns to her. Why not? There's no particular virtue about standing, is there? I hate standing. So let's sit down and be comfortable. She sits, so does he. She sits on the bank under tree, left of it. He sits below bank, to right of tree. But ought I to be sitting here with you? That's what I mean. It's 
Not as if I really know you, is it? Not know me? The chatter of birds dies away. Not properly. We've never been introduced. We just met quite by chance here in the wood. Yes, what a glorious chance. Still, I'm sure Mother wouldn't approve. And you say Mrs. Rivers isn't stupid? I expect most people would agree with her. Most people would say you oughtn't to have spoken to a girl you didn't know like that. Oh, come. I only asked my way back to the inn. There was no harm in you asking your way, of course. But then we began talking of other things. And then we sat down under this tree. And we've sat down under this tree every afternoon since. And that was a week ago. Well, it's such an awfully jolly tree. I don't know what Mother would say if she heard of it. Would it be something unpleasant? I'm afraid it would. How fortunate you don't know it, then. Still, if I really oughtn't to be here, do you think I oughtn't to be here? I don't think I should go into that if I were you. Sensible people think of what they want to do, not of what they ought to do. Otherwise, they get confused. And then, of course, they do the wrong thing. But if I do what I oughtn't, I generally feel sorry for it afterwards. Not half sorry as you would have been if you hadn't done it. In this world, the things one regrets are the things one hasn't done. For instance, if I hadn't spoken to you a week ago here in the wood, I should have regretted it all my life. Would you? He nods. Really and truly? Really and truly. He lays his hand on hers for a moment. She lets it rest there. Cuckoo calls loudly once or twice. She draws her hand back. There's the cuckoo. Cecil rises and sits up on the bank right of her, leaning against tree. Yes, isn't he jolly? Don't you love cuckoos? They are rather nice. Aren't they? And such clever beggars. Most birds are fools, like most people. As soon as they're grown up, they go and get married, and then the rest of their lives are spent in bringing up herds of children and wondering how on earth to pay their school bills. Your cuckoo sees the folly of all that. No school bills for her, no nursing the baby. She just flits from hedgerow to hedgerow, flirting with other cuckoos, and when she lays an egg, she lays it in someone else's nest, which saves all the trouble of housekeeping. Oh, a wise bird. Pouting, looking away from him. I don't know that I do like cuckoos so much after all. They sound to me rather selfish. Yes, but so sensible. The duck's a wise bird, too, in her way, but her way's different from the cuckoo's. She always treads on her eggs. Clumsy creature. Not a bit. She does it on purpose. You see, it's much less trouble than sitting on them. As soon as she's laid an egg, she raises one foot absent-mindedly and gives a warning quack, whereupon the farmer rushes up, takes it away, and puts it under some wretched hen who has to do the sitting for her. I call that genius. Genius? Yes, genius is the infinite capacity for making other people take pains. How can you say that? I didn't. Carlyle did. I don't believe he said anything of the kind. And I don't believe ducks are clever one bit. They don't look clever. That's part of their cleverness. In this world, if one is wise, one should look like a fool. It puts people off their guard. That's what the duck does. Well, I think ducks are horrid, and cuckoos too. I believe most birds 
like bringing up their children and feeding them and looking after them they do that's the extraordinary part of it they spend their whole lives building nests and laying eggs and hatching them and when the chickens come out the father has to fuss round finding worms and the nests abominably overcrowded and the babies are perpetually squalling and that drives the husband to the public house and it's all as uncomfortable as the devil mr harburton well i shouldn't like it in fact i call it fatuous evelyn is leaning forward pondering this philosophy with a slightly puckered brow a slight pause i say you don't look a bit comfortable like that lean back against the tree it's a first-rate tree that's why i chose it tries and fails i can't my hat gets in the way take it off then i think i will that's better leans back luxuriously against the trunk puts her hat down on the bank beside her much better looks at her with frank admiration by jove you do look jolly without your hat do i yes your hair's such a jolly colour i noticed it the first time i saw you you had your hat off then you know you were walking through the wood fanning yourself with it and directly i caught sight of you the sun came out and simply flooded your hair with light and there was the loveliest pink flush on your cheeks and your eyes were soft and shining mr harburton you mustn't say things to me like that mustn't i why not don't you like being told you look jolly i do like it of course but ought you oh it's that again i mean it's not right for men to say these things to girls i don't see that if they're true you are pretty and your eyes are soft and your cheeks why they're flushing at this moment why shouldn't i say it please she stops and her eyes fill with tears miss rivers what's the matter why i believe you're crying <laughs> i'm not you are i can see the tears have i said anything to hurt you what is it tell me it's nothing nothing really i'm all right now only you won't say things like that to me again would you promise taking out her handkerchief i promise if you really wish it and now dry your eyes and let's be good children that's what my nurse used to say when my sister and i quarrelled shall i dry them for you takes her handkerchief and does so tenderly thank you takes away handkerchief how absurd you are thank you Evelyn moves down, sitting at bottom of bank, a little below him. Did you often quarrel with your sister? Perpetually. And my brothers. Didn't you? I never had any. Poor little kid. You must have been rather lonely. There was always Reggie. Reggie? My cousin, Reggie Townsend. He lived with us when we were children. His parents were in India. So he used to quarrel with you instead? Oh, no. We never quarrelled. At least, Reggie never did. I did sometimes. How dull. There's no good in quarrelling if people won't quarrel back. 
I don't think there's any good in quarrelling at all. Oh, yes, there is. There's the making it up again. Was that why you used to quarrel with your sisters? I expect so, though I didn't know it, of course. Then, I used to tease her awfully, I remember, and pull her hair. She had awfully jolly hair, like yours. Oh, I forgot. I mustn't say that. Used you to pull Reggie's hair? <laughs> I'm afraid I did sometimes. I was sure of it. How long was he with you? Till he went to Winchester. And, of course, he used to be with us in the holidays after that. And he comes to us now whenever he can get away for a few days. He's in his uncle's office in the city. He'll be a partner some day. Poor chap. Poor chap. Mother says he's very fortunate. She would. Parents always think it very fortunate when young men have to go to an office every day. I know mine do. Do you go to an office every day? No. Then I don't think you can know much about it, can you? I know too much. That's why I don't go. What do you do? I don't do anything. I'm at the bar. If you're at the bar, why are you down here instead of up in London working? Because if I were in London, I might possibly get a brief. It's not likely, but it's possible. And if I got a brief, I should have to be mugging in chambers or wrangling in a stuffy court instead of sitting under a tree in the shade with you. But ought you to waste your time like that? Waste my time? To sit under a tree, a really nice tree like this, talking to you? You can call that wasting time? Isn't it? No. To sit in a frowsy office, adding up figures when the sky's blue and the weather's heavenly, that's wasting time. The only real way in which one can waste time is not to enjoy it, to spend one's day blinking at a ledger and never notice how beautiful the world is and how good it is to be alive, to be only making money when one might be making love. That is wasting time. How earnestly you say that. Isn't it true? Cecil leans forward, close to her. Perhaps it is. Looks away from him. You know it is. Everyone knows it is. Only people won't admit it. Leaning towards her and looking into her eyes. You know it at this moment. I think I do. For a long moment they look into each other's eyes. Then he takes her two hands, draws her slowly towards him, and kisses her gently on the lips. Ah! Sigh of satisfaction. He releases her hands and leans back against the tree again. Mr. Harburton, you oughtn't have done that. Why not? Because... because you oughtn't. Because men oughtn't kiss girls. Oughtn't to kiss girls? What nonsense! What on earth were girls made for, if not to be kissed? I mean, the oughtn't unless. Unless? Unless they love them. But I do love you. Of course I love you. That's why I kissed you. A thrush is heard calling in the distance. Really? Cecil nods. Evelyn sighs contentedly. That makes it all right, then. 
I should think it did. And as it's all right, I may kiss you again, mayn't I? If you like. You darling. Takes her in his arms and kisses her long and tenderly. Lean your head on my shoulder. You'll find it awfully comfortable. He leans back against a tree. There. Is that all right? She does so. Quite. <sighs> How pretty your hair is. I always thought your hair lovely. And it's as soft as silk. I always knew it would be like silk. Strokes it. Do you like me to stroke your hair? Yes. Sensible girl. <laughs> I say, what am I to call you? Do you know I don't even know your Christian name yet? Don't you? No, you've never told me. What is it? Mine's Cecil. Mine's Evelyn. Evelyn? Oh, I don't like Evelyn. It's rather a stodgy sort of name. I think I shall call you Eve. Does anyone else call you Eve? No. Then I shall certainly call you Eve, after the first woman man ever loved. May I? If you like, Cecil. That's settled, then. He kisses her again, pause of utter happiness, during which he settles her head more comfortably on his shoulder and puts arm around her. Isn't it heavenly to be in love? Heavenly. There's nothing like it in the whole world. Say so. Love is the most beautiful thing in the whole wide world. Good girl. There's a reward for saying it right. Kisses her. Pause of complete happiness for both. I'm afraid Reggie won't be pleased. The chatter of sparrows is heard. Won't he? No. You see, Reggie's in love with me too. He always has been in love with me, for years and years. Poor Reggie. On the contrary, happy Reggie. What do you mean? To have been in love with you years and years. I've only been in love with you a week. I've only known you a week. I'm afraid Reggie didn't look at it like that. No brains. You see, I always refused him. And he always went on loving you. What more could the silly fellow want? He wanted me to accept him, I suppose. The bird chatter dies away. Ah, Reggie ought to read Keats, Ode to a Grecian Urn. I say, what jolly eyes you've got. I noticed them the moment we met here in the wood. That was why I spoke to you. I thought it was to ask your way back to the inn. That was an excuse. I knew the way as well as you did. I'd only just come from there. But when I saw you with the sunshine on your pretty soft hair and lighting up your pretty soft eyes, I said I must speak to her, and I did. Are you glad I spoke to you? Yes. Glad and glad? Yes. Good girl. Leans over and kisses her cheek. <sighs> Sits up. Now we must go and tell Mother. Ah, <sighs> need we? Of course. Well, if you think so. <laughs> you don't seem to look forward to it much. I don't. That's the part I always hate. Always? Yes, the going to the parents and all that. Parents really are the most preposterous people. They've no feeling for romance, whatever. 
You meet a girl in a wood. It's May, the sun shining. There's not a cloud in the sky. She's adorably pretty. You fall in love. Everything heavenly. Then, why, I can't imagine, she wants you to tell her mother. Well, you do tell her mother, and her mother at once begins to ask you what your profession is, and how much money you earn, and how much money you have that you don't earn, and that spoils it all. But I don't understand. You talk as if you've actually done this all before. So I have, lots of times. Oh. Jumps up from the ground and faces him, her eyes flashing with rage. I say, don't get up. It's not time to go yet. It's only four. Sit down again. Struggling for words. Do you mean to say you've been in love with other girls before? Other girls? Apparently genuinely astonished at the question. Of course I have. Have you been engaged to them? Not engaged. I've never been engaged so far. But I've been in love over and over again. Evelyn stamps her foot with rage, turning away from him. My dear girl, what is the matter? You look quite cross. Rises. And you're not ashamed of it? Ashamed of it? Ashamed of being in love? How can you say such a thing? Of course I'm not ashamed. What's the good of being alive at all if one isn't to be in love? I'm perpetually in love. In fact, I'm hardly ever out of love with somebody. Then if you're in love, why don't you get engaged? A man has no business to love a girl and not be engaged to her. It's not right. That's the parents' fault. I told you parents were preposterous people. They won't allow me to get engaged. Why not? Oh, for different reasons. They say I'm not serious enough, or that I don't work enough, or that I haven't got enough money, or else they simply say they don't think I'm fitted to make their daughter happy. Anyhow, that won't sanction an engagement. They all agree about that. Your mother would be just the same. Impatient exclamation from Evelyn. I don't blame her. I don't say she's not right. I don't say they haven't all been right. In fact, I believe they have been right. I'm only explaining how it is. I see how it is. You don't want to be married. Of course I don't want to be married. Nobody does unless he's perfectly idiotic. One wants to be in love. Being in love's splendid. And I dare say being engaged isn't bad, though I've had no experience of that so far. But being married must be simply hateful. How can it be hateful to be married if it's splendid to be in love? The cuckoo is heard. Have you forgotten the cuckoo? Oh. No ties, no responsibilities, no ghastly little villa with children bellowing in the nursery. Just life in the open hedgerow. Life and love. Happy cuckoo. I think cuckoos are detestable. They are horrid, disgusting birds. No, no. I can't have you abusing cuckoos. They're particular friends of mine. In fact, I'm a sort of cuckoo myself. Turning to him. Oh, I hate you. I hate you. Stamps her foot. You don't. I do. 
shaking his head. You don't. One never really hates the people one has once loved. He looks into her eyes. For a moment or two she returns his gaze fiercely. Then her eyes fall and they fill with tears. You are horrid to say that. Why? Because it's true, I suppose. But I'm so unhappy. <laughs> Eve, you're crying. You mustn't do that. I can't bear seeing people cry. Don't. I can't bear you to touch me. After falling in love with one girl after another, like that. When I thought you were only in love with me. So I am only in love with you now. I thought you'd never been in love with anyone else. And I let you call me Eve, because you said she was the first woman man ever loved. But I never said she was the only one, did I? And one can't help being in love with people when one is in love, can one? I couldn't help falling in love with you, for instance, the moment I saw you. You looked simply splendid. It was such a splendid day, too. Of course I fell in love with you. Slightly appeased by his compliment, drying her eyes. But you seem to fall in love with such a lot of people. I do. But ought you to throw stones at me? After all, being in love with more than one person is no worse than having more than one person in love with you. How about Reggie? Reggie? The sparrow's chatter starts again. Reggie's in love with you, isn't he? So am I, and both at once, too. I'm only in love with one person at a time. I can't help Reggie being in love with me. And I can't help my being in love with you. That's just my point. I knew you'd see it. I don't see it at all. Reggie is quite different from you. Reggie's love is true and constant. Well, I'm a constant lover, if you come to that. You aren't. You know you aren't. Yes, I am. A constant lover is a lover who is constantly in love. Only with the same person. It doesn't say so. It only says constant. <laughs> How ridiculous you are. That's right. Now you're good-tempered again. I'm not. What a story. I'm not. I'm very, very angry. That's impossible. You can't possibly be angry and laugh at the same time, can you? No one can. And you did laugh. You're doing it now. She does so unwillingly. So don't let's quarrel any more. It's absurd to quarrel on such a fine day, isn't it? Let's make it up and be lovers again. The sparrows die away, shaking her head. No! Please! Shaking her head. No. Well, you're very foolish. Love isn't a thing to throw away. It's too precious for that. Love is the most beautiful thing in the whole world. You said so yourself, not ten minutes ago. I didn't. You said it. Looking down. But you said it after me. Eve, dear, don't be silly. Let's be in love while we can. Youth is the time to be in love isn't it? Soon you and I will be dull and stupid and middle-aged like all the other tedious people, and then it will be too late. 
youth passes so quickly don't let's waste a second of it they say the mayfly only lives for one day he is born in the morning all the afternoon he flutters over the river in the sunshine dodging the trout and flirting with other mayflies and at evening he dies think of the poor mayfly who happens to be born on a wet day the tragedy of it poor mayfly there you're sorry for the mayfly you see you're only angry with me because you're not a mayfly yes i am a sort of mayfly with suspicion of tears in her voice you aren't how can you be besides you just said you were a cuckoo i suppose i'm a cuckoo mayfly for i hate wet days and if you're going to cry again it might just as well be wet mightn't it so do dry your eyes like a good girl let me do it for you does it with her handkerchief there that's better and now we're going to be good children again aren't we and you'll kiss and be friends <laughs> i'll be friends of course but you must not kiss me again what a shame why not because you mustn't well you'll sit down again anyhow won't you just to show we've made it up no then you haven't really made it up yes i have picks up her hat i must go now reggie's coming down by the five o'clock train and i want to be at the station to meet him good-bye mr harburton eve you're going to accept reggie i wonder and he'll have to tell your mother of course poor reggie so his romance ends too i won't if i marry reggie i shall make him very happy very likely marriage may be happiness but i'm hanged if it's romance oh she turns away and exits right cecil watches her departure with a smile half amused half pained till she is long out of sight then with a half sigh turns back to his tree reseating himself poor reggie reopens his book and settles himself to read again a cuckoo hoots loudly from a distant thicket and is answered by another cecil looks up from his book to listen as the curtain falls end of the constant lover by st john hankin